0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Power From Port podcast. I'm your host Jamie and on today's episode I'll be reviewing Port Adelaide's clash versus the Western Bulldogs in round 23 of season 2021. I hope you're feeling good. I'm feeling good today. I've got a coffee ready to go and a little slice of cake just to top off a Monday afternoon. So let's get into the game. Uh, The final score read Port Adelaide 9 goals 12-66. Defeating the Western Bulldogs, 10 goals, 4-64. The leading goal kickers for us on the night was Travis Boak with 2 goals, 3. Connor Rosie with 2 goals, 1. Robbie Gray and Peter Adams with 2 goals straight. And Ollie Wines with the 1 goal. Our major ball winners were Ollie Wines with 34 disposals. 17 of those contested. 14 kicks, 20 handballs. Travis Boak with 31 disposals. 11 of which were contested. 18 kicks, 13 handballs. Robbie Gray, 25 disposals. 16 contested possessions. 13 kicks, 12 handballs, and Riley Bonner with the 24 disposals, two of which were contested, 17 kicks and seven handballs. So my initial thoughts post-game were simply that we never gave up. We never gave up the fight against uh, the Bulldogs on Friday night. Obviously, there was a lot riding on this match, a chance for a top two spot for us and a chance for them to solidify a top four spot. I mentioned in my prediction post and for those of you who read my blog cast on facebook on friday thanks for doing so i hope you got a bit out of it especially this bit, which i'll touch on later in the post but i mentioned that the bulldogs weren't in great form they had been up the top of the ladder all year they would be coming at us hard because it meant a lot for them they were playing at their home ground and it was do or die for us You know, yes, Ken said that we want to finish as high as possible, but we kind of had a little bit of an out if we wanted to take it because we were going to finish fourth at the least anyway. But I'm glad we didn't take that. I'm glad that we still pushed on and showed our true potential in the end to overcome a top four side when that's been a lot of the major criticisms warranted or unwarranted throughout the year. But we put a tick next to that. And, yeah, we just kept at them and kept at them until we finally overran them with about seven minutes to go in the last quarter. So that makes it 6-6 six and six at Marble Stadium and typifies our status as a great travelling team. We're undefeated in Melbourne and in any other year except for COVID-affected year. That is what a interstate team that would be a key marker on their performance for the season. You've got to play well in Melbourne because ultimately you have to play the grand final in Melbourne. Uh, That's not the case this season. However, it just shows that we have great resolve to play anywhere, anytime against any opponent, as Ken has also said in the media. So Marble Stadium has been donned our home away from home and we showed that on Friday night, which that win also takes us to... A fantastic record of 17 and 5 this season. A marvelous return for our players, especially with all the ups and downs that we've had on and off the field, uh, mostly in regard to injuries. But that also, when you match it up against uh, last year's fixture, we finished with a record of 31 and 8 over the last two home and away years. And that's fantastic. And I've mentioned on this podcast, Beforehand, Where this is the first year I've uh, supported Port Adelaide as a member That we've actually been a good team for more than one season in a row It shows that we've got great players on the field We've got a great head coach We've got great assistant coaches It is really a top-down achievement uh, We have great support in every facet of our football club And we're fantastically positioned to push very, very far in this to end of the season. Obviously, another point I made in my prediction blogcast on Friday, and it was my most of all prediction. If anything else, we needed to avoid a slow start. We needed to avoid them kicking a run of three to five goals. Now, they perfectly positioned in the middle of that. They kicked the first four goals of the game. However, I still thought that we were playing good football, and Ken reflected those sentiments in his post-match. It's, the scoreline showed a slow start for those who probably weren't paying much attention, but they kicked the first goal, Bonte They kicked a stoppage goal, which was right in front of goal, really high percentage chance for them. And after their second goal, we answered with a behind to their goals for the rest of the quarter. So, And our behind's coming from fairly gettable shots on goal. Mitch artists and the like, probably not showing their best effort with the chances at goal in reply. And you turn one of those behinds, particularly the one after their second goal, you turn that into a goal and immediately reply. All of a sudden, we've got a bit of momentum, a bit of confidence in our goal kicking because it's definitely psychological you find when a team is kicking and it was like that in the Saint Kilda game we played at Marvel Stadium when your team keeps keeps kicking behind it can become a little bit infectious i'm a cricketer myself and uh, you know that if you you just want to take the first catch when you're fielding because that is also an infectious attitude if one or two or three players drop. Catches whether they're straightforward or not, it seems to just flow on, and the pressure builds on the next opportunity to take that catch or to kick the goal in a in a football sense. So, I felt that if we answered with one or two goals in that first quarter and not relying on kind of Rosie at the end, that it could have been a completely different story. And from that point on, we kind of dominated. They got the, the three of those four goals within the first five minutes of the match. And then the first, uh, sorry, the fourth goal coming a little bit before halfway through that first quarter. From that point on, we were by far the stronger team. Uh, we finished with eight of the 10 top rated players on the field for the whole match. Whereas in, when you flip it, uh, we only had three of the bottom 10. And that was Mays, Dixon, and Georgiadis. Georgiades obviously going off with that injury. Dixon being fairly well held by Alex Keith. I have witnessed... A few games live uh, with Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs earlier this year, obviously, and last year in 2020. And Dixon had a great game against Keith in the 2020 fixture, taking a lot of contested marks and kicked a couple of goals. And earlier this year, I just kind of noticed a few, maybe not dirty tactics, but questionable tactics that uh, a smart defender, let's be honest, will exploit knowing that the umpires probably can't pick up on every little thing that a defensive player does and yeah look I I would much prefer a higher return on Dixon however um he's been in some great form of late and I'm happy to give him a mulligan we really want to see his best against Geelong this Friday where he kicked four goals against them in our earlier fixture this season but moving on from that Mays was the other Bottom three player, and he obviously came on as the sub for Georgie Artist. So to have eight of the top ten and, and only having three of the bottom ten with mitigating factors, uh, that's a great return for effort, in my opinion. So let's get into the line breakdown and starting with defence, as per usual. I thought they were a bit out of sorts early. As I mentioned before, the, the Bulldogs were going to come at us hard, wanting to get in the way of their current loss streak and uh, get on the front foot early, put us under some serious pressure. As been noted in the media, we have had a few slow starts and it was one of my um, key points, as I mentioned before. So they put us on the back foot. However, as the game wore on, I felt that our defence just tightened up and tightened up and tightened up, absorbing all that pressure and they had to absorb all that pressure The goals coming quite unfortunately at times are being turned over up the ground and uh, like that Bonte goal coming from a fortunate position. And uh, he started like a bull out of the gate in the first quarter as what seems to be the common theme with our defensive group in recent times, the disposal coming out of defense is elite. So to run through those stats again, we have Dan Houston at a hundred percent disposal efficiency Jonas at 93, DBJ at 87, McKenzie at 84, Burton and Alier at 83, and Bonner at 79. So all of our defensive seven are going at 79+. plus. Again, fills you with massive confidence that although they need to absorb a lot of pressure sometimes, as any defensive unit would, and especially when you come up against a good side who are going to continue to test you throughout a game, when they do get it back, You know, they're going to make generally a good decision coming out of the back 50 and moving forward. Uh, One of my key statistical indicators uh, that we lost against the Bulldogs earlier this season was intercept possessions. We lost that 69 to 74. And that with a few other key statistics, which I'll go over uh, as I go on. We had to fix that. Intercept possession seems to be a key defensive kind of marker. You know, Aliyah is a perfect example of the intercept possession. And on Friday night, we won that 66 to 65. So that's a tick. I really feel that that defensive unit, it's locked in. It's super tight now. If it wasn't last week, it is this week. Uh, English provided a change, a challenge initially. I give credit to Luke Beveridge for placing him there. In my preview, I wrote that, you know, losing Josh Bruce to an ACL, it leaves a big hole, Kicking upwards of 48 goals, close to 50, and five and a half score involvements per game. Uh, It really put a lot of pressure on Norton and Norton tried to impose himself early but I felt that he fell out of the game much like English did and English was their top goal kicker but with a Joe the Goose to go along with it um, resulting in one of those goals. I felt that him staying there the longer the game wore on actually worked to our benefit and the commentary team were going on about keeping Lear accountable but I read the mongrel punt made a a great point to say that, yeah, you can make a Alire accountable, but we've got a fantastic defensive unit led by our captain, Tom Jonas, McKenzie coming back in and looking like he hadn't missed a beat, um, really fresh after that week off. And then the halfbacks to go around it, you know, credit to you for trying something, especially when you're missing that key figure in Josh Bruce. But once we figured out their strategy we settled and kept them fairly quiet i felt it was the smaller players around the ground that impacted uh, throughout the game so a huge tick for our defense and a huge tick going forward they're really going to have to work harder than ever they're going to have to keep absorbing all that pressure it's the business end of the season now so we're only going to come up against good teams and not to put it solely on that back six or seven uh, it is going to have to be a whole team effort, but you know your last line of defense is called your last line of defense for a reason so glad that they 're in top shape at the moment they 've probably been our best line over the past two or three weeks, and uh, it fills you with immense confidence whenever the opposition is thrusting forward that not all is lost and we 've got a lot of creative and accountable players back there who can impact in. Slightly different ways, too, which I appreciate. My best defender on the night, I mentioned him just before, coming back in fresh off a week off, Trent McKenzie. He really impressed me, finishing with the 19 disposals, four of which were contested, 16 kicks, three handballs, nine marks, five tackles, five intercept possessions, uh, a stat line that I mentioned before, six one-percenters, six rebound 50s going at 448 metres gained, which was actually our second most metres gained player for the night. Uh, like I said, he came straight back in. It looked like he hardly missed a beat. He was super accountable. He was helping out his teammates and sending it back quickly the other way with his huge cannon of a boot. I always kind of underestimate Trent McKenzie. And I don't think I'm alone in that camp, thinking that he's a bit shorter than what he is. He stands at uh, 191 centimetres as listed on um, AFL website and I mentioned in a Port Adelaide group the other day that my gut feeling is that Clury straightens us up a little bit as a taller defender taking a tall forward and allows Aaliyah and Jonas more room to move as opposed to Trent McKenzie however Cleary only two centimetres taller than Trent McKenzie and Delving a little bit deeper and looking at their statistics in more detail, it is quite obvious to me why Ken and the selection committee prefer Trent McKenzie at the moment. It's a tough one. It's a really tough call. Like, I I really rate Tom Cleary. But when you look at it in detail and you've got Trent McKenzie who's got that weapon of a left foot that can get over defensive presses, even hit the scoreboard as he did in the, the Melbourne game. It is a couple of extra cards we've got up our sleeve. And when you really boil it all down, he's a very accountable one-on-one defender. He doesn't really get thrown around or pushed aside too easily. He's really good with his body positioning, really smart and can take a contested mark uh, and intercept it like his stat line reads. So really impressed with him. Glad that he had the week off and the team gave him the week off. He obviously needed it and, Yeah, he's got a big part to play going forward. I don't see him being dropped unless he has a complete stinker and we were to win, hypothetically. So he's my best defender. Moving on to my Honourable Mention, I was going to give this guy his own highlight at the end, but just looking through the night, I have to bring him up now as my Honourable Mention. I would have titled the final touch as six-pack for Bonner. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that he he completed the hat-trick of three games, three great games in a row, and he's just kept on keeping on in the few weeks since, and now he's got the six-pack of performances. So his stat line reads 24 disposals, 17 kicks, 7 handballs, 11 marks, 2 tackles, 5 intercept possessions, 3 rebound 50s and 339 metres gained. I don't care what anyone says. You're not dropping Riley Bonner. He found his position in that back line, which is amazing considering that he wasn't trusted at the start of the season by fans and obviously coaches because he was being trialed on a wing and even as a half forward. And I've got to say, in the North Melbourne game earlier in the year before he got injured, he was impacting quite well. (coughs) Excuse me. When you go along with his preseason matches and take what you will from preseason matches, he really impacted in those against the Crows. So it was, and I mentioned in my previous podcast that everyone had to learn a new position. So maybe that was part of it and he was always going to settle back into defensive line. But with that hamstring injury coming when it did, he had an interrupted season, much like a lot of other players in our team. Had to find form in the Magpies, was in and out for a few weeks, but has come back now and using the ball fantastically well, and looks he, he looks the most comfortable and sure in his own game that I've ever seen Riley Bonner, and that's vital, because Riley has actually played a couple finals for us now in the past, and was probably one of our best on ground in the 2017 elimination final against the West Coast Eagles, so... To go along with our defensive unit being a solid unit, he just adds that extra surety. He adds the polish with the ball now coming out of defensive 50. And it was funny to me just uh, internally reflecting on Riley Bonner. There was a couple moments, particularly early uh, in the first and second quarters where, take a Miles Bergman, for example, very nervy in a finals-like intensity. And there was a couple other players who found themselves uh, double grabbing or under a bit of pressure and using Riley as the comfort disposal on the outside to shore up our movement going forward. And it's it's amazing to think of that now in regards to Riley Bonner going back even half a season to a season plus uh, in his regard to him being kind of the second wave of Jasper Pittard I've mentioned before, especially in the opinion of many fans. But, He's definitely solidified my opinion of his worth in the last six weeks, and you know, you're just simply not dropping him with the form that he's in. He, him playing at the top of his game again, adds another clean element to our defensive line, and that half back line has got to be one of the best by foot in the AFL at the moment, with Dan Houston and Ryan Burton being the other mainstays on that half back line. So. Again, looking, I'm really looking forward to Riley's final series and how he performs in the finals-like intensity. We've played two matches in the last three weeks with that intensity, and by all accounts, he just handled it well, but you've got to keep backing it up, and I'm confident that he will. So the midfield line, and uh, these are some of the other statistics uh, that I mentioned in my preview blog that we lost last time and we needed to rectify this time, and they're also the... Statistics that I generally read out with the midfield, as I think they reflect mostly on the midfield. So, clearances, we won 35 to 28. Most of those coming from stoppage, where we killed them 26 to 19. Contested possessions, we won 139 to 132. And as always, as we know, I believe we're 16 from 16 games uh, on the winning ledger, where we win those two key statistics. And then to round that out, we won hit outs by a landslide, 51-18. to 18. Is that the, I mean, that's a real domination of statistics. And it, like I said, if you weren't watching the game closely, you could have been fooled into thinking that the Bulldogs were in control, particularly for a quarter and a half. I didn't feel that. I felt that our effort wasn't being rewarded on the scoreboard, but halfway through the first quarter and, and beyond, we were definitely the dominant force and the most even spread across the, uh, across the game, across in comparison to the Western Bulldogs. Uh, I predicted Drew to go to Bontempelli, but in reflection, uh, he took Liber, uh, Tony, uh, Tom Libertore, should I say, and it actually made sense in the end. Uh, Libertore is one of their better clearance players and, Rewinding back to our previous encounter with the Western Bulldogs, Libertorio was probably at his best form at that point in the year and he was scooping it out of stoppage after stoppage and congestion after congestion. now, personally, I'm quite wary of the fact that Bulldogs are quite slick with their hands, I'll put it that way, very creative hand passes and a lot of the times don't get adjudicated as such. Um, Liver being one of those main proponents, but with a guy like Drew, who's at the peak of his powers at the moment, knuckling down on him, uh, he kept him really quiet and nullified their clearance work and left it to other players now that Liver is in a drop-off in form. So really well done by Drew. Uh, My prediction was wrong, but quite happy with the job that Drew was given on Tom Libertore, which moves me to my next point about um, the Bontempelli matchup. Again, in hindsight, I really, really liked the fact that Travis Boak and Ollie Wines were matched up on him. So we had Drew tagging Liber, their main clearance player. So then we had the main impact player in Bontempelli, and I really thought they taught him a lesson. They just went head-to-head with Bont at various stages, and uh, they just walked all over him in the end. He finished with the 15 disposals, and both Wines and Boak had 65 between them, so a huge tick. And it goes to show that we're not relying on one player to nullify another main midfielder imposing themselves on the game. Yeah obviously the tagging role has fell out of football in recent years there is a bit of a resurgence now particularly this season and um we've kind of pigeonholed Willem Drew as that player now that he has got a full season of work under his belt and he's done it to great effect he did do it on Friday just not to the player that I thought but then we have Bowen Wines who are accountable for their man uh, for their man and can just absolutely carved it up on the other end, just really hunting that ball and setting up their teammates. We saw a one game that sticks out for me because it was highlighted in the commentary was the Gold Coast game we played up there now that was a one of probably one of our easier victories. but the commentator i can't remember who it was it might have been Jonathan Brown mentioned that he was watching Ollie Wines and Willem drew for that mate uh, for that matter um, but Ollie was playing an accountable role there and killing them on the, on the way out. So it leaves a question. It leaves something for the opposition coaches to take note of knowing that we've got probably one of the more accountable midfields in the league at the moment all coming into great form and they can kill you. They can absolutely kill you. So, Speaking of a killing, Lysette, uh, and I just lapped this up the whole way through, Lyset absolutely killed Young in the ruck. Mentioned earlier that English was put forward and as noble as that was and a good idea it was early, once we got on top of the game, I was very, very surprised that Luke Beveridge didn't shift English back to the first ruck and put Young forward because I felt that If they were going to have any chance of actually getting it forward and putting us under more pressure, it would have been English as the first ruck and then trying Young to snag a goal or two as the less experienced one. But keeping him in for the whole game was just a real mistake, I felt. Particularly in that third quarter, it was both Lysette and Laddam's best quarters. And it was just one of those performances that was so visual uh, the clear dominance, a premiership Ruckman up against a majorly inexperienced Ruckman. And to go along with that, Laddum's finished with the two goals in the third quarter. So really, after the halftime, took him to the cleaners. So my best mid, look, a bit of a raffle. Uh, different people would have different opinions, but my best mid goes to Travis Boak. Probably, for me, it was the impact that he had forward that topped it off, <clears throat> and it provides a great um, provides great interest on for Brownlow Knight. Uh, but we'll get to that later. Uh, Travis Spoke finished with 31 disposals, 11 contested possessions, 18 kicks, 13 handballs, going at 61%. So he'd want to improve on that, much like my sentiments last week. Five marks, four tackles, the two goals, three, seven score involvements, four clearances, six inside 50s and a huge 440 metres gain. So particularly in the first half, he's playing like his life depends on it. And that is a major example would be the 21 disposals that he finishes in at halftime. So his life kind of does depend on it in some regards. He... he, he No matter how long we think Travis Boat can keep playing for, a guy in his early to mid-30s would kind of just keep it in the back of their mind that every year that goes on without a premiership means it may be more and more unlikely that they're going to get one. So Travis Boat, for me, I mentioned in my review of the current game, he just keeps on keeping on and with our midfield all rising in improvement this year, He doesn't have to shoulder as much of the load, but this is a game particularly where he was just ready for it. He he put everyone on his back in that first half and, (coughs) excuse me, he was so lively early attacking every contest at 100%. The thing that let him down in that first half was his disposal, which was I think around that 50% mark. So, Look, we give we give Ollie Wines the benefit of the doubt usually because you know in those contested situations that they're usually just trying to gain territory and it's not always going to pay off but at least we've got that territory. So Travis Boak, I feel probably we give him that same benefit of the doubt because he was in absolutely everything in that first half and was flying the flag early when we we're under our most pressure and then throughout The thing that gave him the best mid I mentioned was probably his impact on the scoreboard. So he kicked some pretty important goals. Obviously, everyone remembering the second to last goal of the game uh, where he kicked it from the pocket. But uh, there was also one in the third quarter where we'd kicked the first three goals of the third quarter. The Bulldogs replied with three goals and then Boak kicked one just to negate the run the Bulldogs had made and put the momentum back in our favour so further goes to show that he's ready to impact when necessary and kind of turning it back, as we will remember, when he was captain of the football club and kicking those captain's goals, he kind of is uh, taking a leaf out of that book, especially at the moment. And, geez, he'd wish for a bit of, a bit more accuracy at goal. He's hit three goals six in the past two weeks, so nine shots on goal. Uh, so he's having yeah, he's having a lot of looks at it and would prefer probably to switch that around to at least six goals three, uh and you know giving us a better chance to create a buffer uh, on Friday night's game. But yeah, in terms of impact, he just put the team on his shoulders and uh, said, "Come with me." My Honourable Mention, uh, I kind of gave it away a little bit in my midfield wrap, but uh, my Honourable Mention goes to Scott Lysette. He finished with the 22 disposals, 11 contested, so half of his disposals were contested, playing with real aggression, as noted, and coming into some great form. Eight kicks, 14 handballs, two marks. He got the behind, so would have preferred kicking the goal, going at 82% disposal efficiency. Six score involvements, 40 hit-outs. That is not a typo. He got 40 hit-outs. Like I said, absolutely killing Young in the ruck. And, you know, the coaches have all this information at hand. So it just makes you really wonder why Devo didn't want to make the call. But I'm more than happy to take that. 40 hit-outs is amazing. And he also had the five clearances. So he's doing it in the air and on the ground, which... I probably more attribute to Peter Laddams being able to impact more uh, at ground level in the midfield, but having Lysette doing some of that dirty work too makes them a really imposing one-two combination. And, uh, yeah, Lysette put the hammer down. It's as simple as that. He's a more experienced player coming up against a less experienced player and when you're in that position, you've got to take him to the cleans, You've got to teach him a football lesson. You can't just rest on your laurels and expect it all to happen, which maybe happened to a, uh, an extent against De Koning, uh in the first quarter and a half last week. But it's much like uh, I've mentioned in previous podcasts, Dan Houston against uh, Collingwood. Uh, Ginevan was his opponent there. Alir versus... Charlie Kernow for the Blues last week. When you're the more experienced and informed player in your matchup, you got to make him accountable, you've got to make him pay, and you've got to put your stamp on the game. And Yeah, Scott Lysette did that. I was really impressed with his game. He's obviously got that premiership experience with West Coast to fall back on, so his next month of football is going to be vital, hoping we play a month, uh, because you just you just can't buy that kind of experience you know you can perform as well as anyone in the home and away season but when it gets to the nitty-gritty of finals every experience that you have just gives you something to fall back on when you're really under pressure so super happy for Scott Lysette moving on to our forward line so although it wasn't a very high scoring Affair, mostly due to our inaccuracy. Uh, Our goals did actually come from some various sources. So I I listened to SCN today and David King mentioned that uh, we're not a very good ball movement side in comparison to the other top four teams in particular. And uh, look, that may be the case to a minor extent. Uh, Yeah, I was a bit sceptical when I heard that because... I've mentioned in the pod in the past that early in the season, particularly the first half of the season, we were playing a very defensive half game and trying to move and create goal sources from the defensive half in chains, controlled chains from that area of the ground. And I've mentioned that I thought it was due to the fact that we're very comfortable in our front half game. And know we can play that. We know it like the back of our hand, a front half press. So we utilised the early parts of the season to practice the defensive half game. So our last three goals of the game came from the defensive half. And in total, six goals, five came from the defensive half to four goals, two, which means that, yes, at the peak of our powers, we're a very front-half team. And I believe it gives us the best chance to win. We play our best football, getting repeat entries in that front-half game. But a Marvel against the bulldogs in a tight contested pressured game knowing that we've scored most of our goals from defensive sources uh, defensive half score sources it, it just kind of kind of goes against what david king was saying in in today's wrap up on sen and it, it just further shows that we've added another string to our bow and th- there was a few times where we shifted gears to utilize different modes of forward thrust. And yeah, so really happy that once we got our goal kicking going, they were coming from various sources on the ground. So some key statistics, the forward line, our inside 50s were 51 to 43. Our efficiency inside 50 was 47% to 37%. So it's interesting to note that statistic when... For the first half, we kicked one goal eight, and you would have, been, you know, you would have been thinking that our efficiency would end up pretty poor. But in regard to inside fifty, but to finish up on the better end of that uh, is really promising. Our marks inside fifty were thirteen to six, and our tackles inside fifty were drawn at ten apiece with the Bulldogs. So some great statistics there. And although Charlie Dixon had a down game, we still were finding other options inside 50, beating the marks inside 50 by 7. So, again, when Charlie doesn't have a great game, we get a bit of criticism because he hasn't had a good game. And, again, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. So if he doesn't have a good game, but we're finding score sources elsewhere, he's in bad form. And, again, he he may be playing – he may have played another decoy. Uh, Who's to know? I I certainly don't know that. It wasn't until – Chad Corn said on radio last week that he was pegged as the decoy against Carlton. So, yeah, uh, you know, I was listening to SENSA on my way home before and, yeah, just mentioning his Dixon's record against top eight teams, which isn't actually that bad, but um, it may not be as good as other players around the league, but. One of the things about our forward line is we've got weapons everywhere and we don't need to rely on Dixon like we have in the past. So it's kind of a non-issue. Like I said in my initial thoughts segment, I'm happy to give him a mulligan because at the end of the day, we had forwards who wanted to step up when we needed to. Sure, it was our more senior heads in the last quarter particularly, but we've got those options and we might as well use them if they're there It'd be stupid not to. Uh, So, my best forward on the night was Robbie Gray, senior head, clutch, multiple clutch goals in his career, as we've found out, since Friday night. Uh, He finished with the 25 disposals, 16 contested possessions, 13 kicks, 12 handballs, going at 76%. He had three marks, three tackles, two goals straight, obviously, eight score involvements to go along with that. Six clearances of his own and three inside 50s. So I really, really liked that he started at the first centre bounce. And uh, he just, when, I think it happened in the first showdown. In some of these important games, uh, we don't have to be reminded of Robbie Gray's effectiveness in the middle. Historically, however, on the back end of of his career as he's in now, he's, definitely the small forward first, but when you need that spark of magic or you need to kind of start well, start with some creativity and just his footy IQ, he will put himself in the middle of Ken said that uh, after that showdown earlier this season, the first one that kind of Robbie kind of decides what he wants to do. And I don't know if that was a coaching move or a Robbie move, but I really enjoyed seeing him line up at the first bounce. It really kind of, signaled that we mean business more or less from our senior players who are quite determined to go all the way this year so his best performance from the game was in that first half when he started in the middle uh, he got us started in the third as well so I mentioned that we kicked one goal eight to halftime and we looked like the better team but as it can go, uh, I mean, we had nine shots on goal to five shots on goal at, at one point in the second quarter, and then the Bulldogs kicked kicked a goal against uh, against the flow, that Johanesson goal. And you see that all the time when the team who's got the momentum keeps peppering and kicking behind after behind. The other team will generally, at a stage, go up to the other end and kick a goal in reply. <clears throat> so... That could have compounded more or less with the halftime coming when it did. We had all the dominance. On top of seeing a goal kicked against the flow of play, you can see a team reset and then double down. So at half time I was speaking with my dad who I was watching football with and just mentioning the fact that, you know, the Bulldogs could have easily taken stock at half time. They'd absorbed all our forward pressure for no reward on our end could have adjusted themselves and really put us away in the third quarter by piling on some more goals. But, so it was important for us to start well and start with the goal ourselves. And Robbie got us going in that regard. He got the holding the ball free kick on Eastern Wood. And it, you know when Robbie just has that look in his face and you, you love to see it as a poor supporter because you more or less go, he's kicking this goal. Uh he, he kinda of takes a deep breath. He uh he just stares at the goals and kind of puts on the blinkers a little bit. It's as if no one else is on the ground. And that may be a routine for him to pretend like there is no one on the ground when he's kicking at goal, because some of those clutch moments, it's him and the goalposts, that's about it, it seems. And yeah, he kicked our first in the third quarter and got our run of goals going. So if the last goal was clutch. I feel that that first goal in the third quarter was more or less just as clutch. And that third quarter in particular, although he had his best half in the first half, he's kicked that goal in the third quarter. But he also, he he put on a huge shepherd on the wing in the third quarter. And it's those little bits and pieces that just fill you with so much joy. And I mean, I, I love a bit of crash and bash. I'm not for violence of football. It just seems immature um, you see some older football fans, you know, wanting Dirty Axe and, and Biff and all of that crap back in the game. But I feel there's still space to play the game tough and hard when it's required, uh, but also legally too. And if Robbie wasn't impacting himself, he was doing the team thing and just put a bone-crunching shepherd on, which I really appreciated and, and wanted to highlight. Nothing huge in the grand scheme of things, but it just typified that, he was on, you knew it early, and he wasn't going to let anything get in his way. My honourable mention for the forward line is Connor Rosy. He he's putting on a great end of the season, Connor. Uh, he finished with the 21 disposals, six of which were contested. 12 kicks, nine handballs, going at 81% disposal efficiency. He had six marks, two goals, one a vital goal in that first quarter to give us something. Ten score involvements, which I believe was the most out of anyone on the ground uh, in a power sense. Two direct goal assists, and he had two tackles, but both of those two tackles were inside 50, so really applying that forward pressure to go along with his clean, crisp ball use uh, when he does have it. Much like the showdown, he looked damaging whenever he was around the ball involved in play, Again, like I mentioned in the showdown review, as an opposition supporter, player, coach, seeing Connor Rosie around the ball or with the ball at the moment would just make you kind of panic a little bit because although I felt he, early on in particular, he was kind of double grabbing a little bit, not getting some clean possession while we were under pressure and in some of those pressure moments throughout. He cleaned it up as the game wore on. And then when he, once he did get the ball, because he's not losing his feet. I've mentioned that a few times. He's keeping his feet, he, which makes him look even more damaging when he does get the disposal because he's using it well and imposing himself. So, again, in a similar vein to how I mentioned, if Dixon's down, everyone else is contributing. Uh, Rosie is definitely in that mix. Um, it's quite a luxury we find ourselves in having so much firepower. And uh, Rosie is impressing me not only for what he's doing with the ball, but what he's doing uh, when he doesn't have the ball uh, or involving his teammates in general play. I believe he one of those goal assists was for Ollie Wines in that last quarter. So uh, he's an X-Factor player. He showed it in last year's preliminary final and uh, in Friday's game against Geelong, I expect him to keep up this form that he's found himself in the last part of the season. So moving on to my hot and cold players, much in a similar vein to the Carlton match, it's pretty hard to pick a cold player at the moment when uh, we're getting some real team performances. Obviously, there was some lesser performances like Charlie Dixon or Motlop coming back in for his first game didn't really set the world alight. But as I've mentioned before, you really want to pick these players after a run of two to three games of similar form. So in that regard, we get two more hot players. My first hot player is Ollie Wines. He, I mean, this one is a pretty easy one, I'll admit, but a guy in such good form, you could say his whole season has been hot. He has not played less than a good game. He has not played an average game, and the ball keeps bullying. He just, as the game wore on, so Travis Burke and Robbie Gray had probably their better halves in the first half, and Ollie by no means was dragging his heels. He was imposing himself quite well, but he definitely took the reins in the second half. And he was running all over the ground, running on top of the ground is the, is the phrase that many people go with there. And he was. He was just imposing himself everywhere, both in and out of the contest, linking up play and using the ball effectively well. Uh, he was hassling, he was tackling, and he was impacting. In my preview on Friday, uh, I mentioned uh, he was my tip for best on ground, and you could argue that he may have been with his contested work as opposed to Boke's influence on uh, score. And I felt that Oli has definitely, well, he definitely won that round in terms of battle for the Brownlow against Marcus Bontempelli. And I, I just, so some media professionals, and I don't know if it's because they're being stubborn, but in my opinion, I feel that the likes of like a Marcus Bontempelli or a Clayton Oliver or a Christian Petrarca, they've all got players taking votes off them where I feel that Ollie Wines is in our wins, for most of our wins, going to get a three or a two, um, at the very least a one. There's a few games here and there where he probably won't feature, but I also think that Ollie Wines will feature in the points for some of our losses as well. Uh, I believe... The Brisbane loss, which in my opinion was our worst loss of the year, Wines definitely put up a top two on field for both teams' performance. So, oh my God, he, he played the game like our key figureheads in, in Wines' spoken grade. They took this game by the scruff of the neck and Ollie Wines was relentless in his effort and his output for the whole match. Um, uh, it's a scary thought. I uh, definitely wouldn't want to come up against Ollie in the form that he's in, and yeah, he he's had a hot season. He's had a hot last month of football. He he won our best finals player last year, so he's firming quite well uh, for Friday night's game. My second hot player is Dan Houston. He's put in a good, solid month of football, and uh much to the heart of this segment, it's more or less to highlight some people going under the radar. And I haven't actually been able to highlight Dan Houston very much over the past months, just with some other players catching my interest and I think performing better as a whole. But Dan Houston uh, over the last month of football, he just, he's just there when you need him to, he's not dominating possession, but what he's doing with his possession is effective. Now he's got confidence back in his body. So he's going back with the flight, he's helping out his teammates, and he's using it well, I mean, going at 100% disposal efficiency on Friday, and his average probably being upward of 75-plus percent. He's um, locking himself in. Not that there was any doubt, it's just the fact that he's not going at contests half-heartedly. He has the confidence to go back with courage. And, again, much like my sentiments with Riley Bonner, if you need someone to kind of give a get-out possession to, he's your man at the moment. His um, output has just been simmering away under the radar and his, yeah, last month of football has been fairly flawless, albeit, uh, you know, maybe maybe want a bit more possession, but I get annoyed at some people putting all their stock in possessions, being the be-all and end-all. It's, you know, not everyone can get 30-plus disposals. It's just ridiculous thought. So when you're getting 20 like Dan had on the weekend and they're all effective, that's a win, 100%. So to round out my best on ground, my three goes to Boak, as I said, mostly for his... Impact on the scoreboard: two for Wines and one for Robbie Gray. Our holy trinity, if you will. And funnily enough, they all kicked our last three goals, as has been highlighted many, many times over the weekend and today. So my final touches. I've mentioned this a few times now. The defensives, the defense is locked, in my opinion. I don't see how it can change. They're just humming along nicely and in really solid form. All applying their different traits to a tight defensive group. One thing that I paid attention to, or it caught my interest back in Geelong's heyday in their very successful period of time, I remember watching a game of football one day and in one of the breaks, the commentary team highlighted their defensive end. And basically, uh, they highlighted all the games that their defensive end had played together and you had the likes of Corey Enright and Joel Corey, and um, you had uh, Egan was one of them at the time. And then you had Andrew Mackey, who was their only like kind of junior defensive player in this time period that I'm thinking of. But it typified the importance of especially a defensive end playing a lot of football together. And I feel uh, Kane Corns is... Uh, reflected a similar sentiment in the the fact that we've won so many low-scoring games this year in particular. And I feel that our defence has reached that point, like Kane said, where they've had five or six pre-seasons together, they've played a lot of football together, and they've got a lot of football to come. Um, So they just play with such a trust it seems like they know each other's games well. Obviously, Aaliyah hasn't played years and years and years of football, but they've done well to integrate him in, and our defence is just humming. Uh, a particular player I wanted to highlight in that regard is DBJ. He's featuring a lot more, I've found, over the last three weeks, uh, being my... Um, one of my better players in the Carlton review, he had the 16 disposals, 9 contested so more than half his disposals were contested, he had the 5 inside 50s which again means he's impacting forward of the ball, coming off halfback, and he also had 4 clearances from stoppage, so DBJ has clearly shaken off whatever was ailing him for the most part of the season to be honest and he's playing with a lot more confidence he's impacting around the ground as mentioned in some of those statistics and and i mean there was one effort early where the bulldogs were clearly trying to transition quickly from our defense our our forward press sorry and if it wasn't for dbj leaving his man and spoiling the ball i believe it was against english or, or keith ran all the way forward and dbj was on someone else and and sagged off him and impacted the contest and punch. But if he didn't get across to that contest, they, we probably would have given up another easy goal. So I, I feel that he's playing with a lot more confidence and a lot more freedom. Uh, his disposal seems a lot... surer again, with the disposal efficiency, like I mentioned before, he was at 87%, which is probably, without looking at the stats over the years, probably one of his higher returns in that regard. So it's, you know... Much has been spoken about our form leading into the finals and some of these players that I've mentioned today just really, yeah, are great examples of that all being bundled into one, finding their best form at the right time of the year, which is so promising in my opinion. It bodes well going into a final series where we do have that disappointment from last year's preliminary and everyone's hitting their straps. My next final touch is... May's the super sub. So, again, another week we see Sam Mays come on. And although he his stats didn't light up the page, he you can just tell he's got a lot of football experience and he is that senior head because yeah, everywhere the ball went, kind of forward of center on Friday night, he seemed to impact in some regard whether it was getting a body in, getting a touch in, if it looked like an opposition uh, possession, but uh, as well as that, making sure his possessions counted as well. So it it really brings up a curious question for me about where do you go for him now? Because he's been the superstar a couple of weeks around and a really effective one, uh, let's be honest. Uh, So with the Magpies only playing one more SANFL game, the usual trend is that if you've been the Medi sub for a couple of weeks in a row you you Need that full game so That may be the most likely option Because I don't see him being Given a full game in the AFL side On Friday night But once the SANFL is all said And done he's a Really effective Medi Sub mostly due to the fact that he is Experienced and he can turn it on At that high intensity in a Third or fourth quarter when required So uh, I'll be interested to see what they do with him going forward, especially once the SNFL season wraps up. And hopefully we're still involved in the finals uh, in the third week. Hopefully we win this Friday night. Uh, really interesting for me with Sam Mays. I've been really impressed with the impact that he's had coming on from the bench. I wanted to also mention Xavier Dersma. He was my tip for big improver on the weekend and, Much like the Carlton game, I thought he was one of the major contributors in flying the flag. He was impacting all over the ground. We all are familiar with his running capacity, and he was just getting to contest after contest, getting his body in, trying to get the possession away to create play up the ground, Uh, but I felt he kind of fell out. He, He wasn't terrible in the second half by any means, but some other people took over and he kind of... Uh, fell down the pecking order in terms of impact as the game wore on. So I just really feel that it may not have been a huge improvement on the Carlton game. It was much, it was very similar. Uh, He doesn't look out of place though. He doesn't look out of form. Uh, We've just got a lot of contributors at the moment, I guess. And he's really knocking on the door of a standout performance. We all saw what he did also in the preliminary final. He was probably one of our better players on ground and, again, you need those experiences first and foremost so that you can draw on those experiences when you're under pressure in a finals-like atmosphere. And he's had four to five weeks of senior football now in his legs. And, uh, yeah, I I feel he's really close to a four-quarter Xavier Dersman performance and hopefully a bow and arrow. Like, you know, it just gets everyone up and about when he impacts on the scoreboard and he uh, gets the arrow out of the quiver. So, moving on, Magpie Watch. Uh, I uh, had the benefit of going down to Albert on Saturday afternoon, obviously high on emotion after Friday night's win. Uh, My dad and younger brother were going down to watch the Magpies play and considering that I had some time free on Saturday afternoon, I, I, I live in Brompton, so it's not too far to go for me. And knowing that, John Butcher was coming back into the fold and it was a beautiful day on Saturday. I thought it was, you know, a a perfect time to go down to Alden and just have a look at some of the people that we got playing down there, obviously with a keen eye to see who might be in contention if we were to get an injury uh, like we did uh, to Mitch Georgiatis or, you know, if someone has a pretty average game in one of the finals coming up, you know, who, who would be likely to, come back and it's always a good time going down to albert and i i don't to be honest i don't go to that many magpies games i don't watch too many magpies games i keep up with some of the highlights that they put on the port adelaide website and just the general feedback and i pay attention to some of the statistics but in terms of going down i i I am fairly busy myself so i don't find myself Uh, watching games in Alberton but it's just it's an amazing atmosphere uh, when you do go down and the crowd you know if you have any doubts on Port Adelaide fans and and their affinity to support their club as a whole I mean it was it was typified it was all on show on Saturday afternoon particularly when the game was getting quite tense in the in the last quarter and uh, that you know that conspiracy theorists thinking that SNFL is out to get us and the umpires have, you know, one rule for each team. It was kind of, you know, I don't know. There's a few questionable decisions late, but it was really impressive to see us um, against a a more fancied opponent in South come up and come from behind and winning. It was a great atmosphere. The crowd really got involved. It it was quite loud there. I don't know how many people were at Alberton uh, but it ended up pretty rowdy and everyone got involved. I kind of love how, obviously, we've got uh, Cheer, Cheer, the black and the white theme song for the Magpies. And I just love how on Friday night you've got your power supporters, uh, well, Port Adelaide supporters sing the power song and then just can flip that switch, sing Cheer, Cheer, the black and the white. And it's just so seamless. It seems so natural. And it's another thing that I love about this football club Uh Again, seeing Alberton and seeing some of the signs around the ground, it's just ridiculous in terms of the proposal for upgrade. Again, if you haven't already, jump on the Port Adelaide Enfield Council website and vote in favour of the PAFC upgrade proposal because once our AFL women start playing there, it's just... It's going to be on the national stage, like I've mentioned in a previous pod, and, you know... Nothing would make me happier than to see the, you know, God's country being viewed on the national stage. Uh, a few players that obviously stood out for me were Boyd Woodcock. He had an amazing game, uh, playing all over the ground, finishing with the forty-two disposals, which is that's just huge. And people forget he was actually taken in the same draft as the likes of Rosie and Butters, uh, obviously at the back end of that draft. And he played in the Premiership for North Adelaide with Connor Rosie. So. He's no slouch in his own regard. And if, if Boyd Woodcock can keep on keeping on like he is, obviously I don't think he's going to get a look in for this back end of the year, but going forward, if he keeps putting in performances like that and improves in an upward trend, then I could just add to the, the bounty that we found in that 2018 draft uh, SPP. He, kept doing SPP things, some of the contests that he got involved with, he just looked to cut above, just not being phased by some body contact and getting the ball and being very hard to tackle. It's really interesting with Sam Powell Pepper. I don't know where, when or how he's going to come back into the AFL team, it's such a benefit for us at AFL level I suppose, but I really like SPP, especially in a finals type atmosphere. I've mentioned in a previous pod that you know, throughout the years, you put through hypothetical situations of certain matches, and uh, a couple of years ago, when SPP was featuring predominantly in the midfield for the power, I just put the, the the hypothetical in my mind is that if he is playing that role, he could be the type of player to win an Norm Smith for mine. He just has that. He just has that essence when he's at a hundred percent that. He can break a game open and just impact everywhere and just have that just that one huge game in September. Um albeit for the for the most part he's not playing that midfield role. But that's that's how high of a regard I, I keep him in. Um when he's at his best. So do you bring him in as the medi sub? Maybe. It wouldn't go astray. He'd be a really great impact player in a third or fourth quarter. But um, he impressed me. And the last one to impress me was Jed McEntee. Uh, for a small period, I didn't realize who he was because I wasn't actually familiar with his uh, Guernsey number. But once I figured it out and then watching him for the rest of the game, he just uh, he's pretty relentless. He fits really well in with the Port Adelaide Football Club. His attack on the football is phenomenal, and he never gives up. He kicked a couple of goals himself, but it's also his tackling pressure, which was more or less a key feature in uh, his highlights package when we drafted him in the mid-season draft period. Uh, So I look forward to him after a preseason. I hope they keep him on board. I would imagine they would, considering that they picked him Mid-year, we didn't really need any more players to fill any gaps at AFL level. So I hope they keep him on board for next year and um, I look forward to seeing his progression after a full AFL preseason and a full year integrated with our club. All right, so that nearly does it for me. Uh, looking forward, obviously, we've got our qualifying final on Friday night against Geelong. I'm feeling kind of confident uh, call it blind confidence, if you will, but I just feel we're in fantastic form at the moment. We've got winning form. There's no real weak spots in our game, in our team. Geelong have a bit to be desired, in my opinion. Letting go of a seven goalie, I don't know if they took their foot off to conserve energy for Friday night or, or Saturday, if, depending on how that game was going to go on the weekend. But... um. Yeah, uh, someone mentioned today on the radio that, uh, the last time we came up against Geelong compared to now, there is a couple of key changes and, uh, one thing that really annoyed me in our earlier fixture against Geelong, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, uh, obviously I'll be doing my preview show during the week, but, uh, we kept kicking it to the likes of Tom Stewart and, and Blixarves as well, but, uh, they don't have any Tom Stewart, so they're kind of light on in the back line. And uh, I, I'm just really interested in it, and it probably adds to that confidence for Friday night's game. Unfortunately, we weren't lucky enough to get tickets uh, with the capacity standing at 15,000 and the AFL opening priority access to just about everyone. So it was mayhem. My old man did his best. He, Like I've said before, he carries a flag in terms of ticket uh acquisitions for us guys who who go to the football together uh but unfortunately couldn't uh couldn't get a ticket so i'm hoping that after a couple of days of touch wood no new cases in sa that we'll get a late capacity increase and opportunity to get more tickets but if not then we are gonna have to find uh find a nice TV to go watch the, the qualifying final. I really wish that we could have gone or can go, so we'll, we'll wait with bated breath and see what Stephen Marshall does. At all accounts, it's not looking very good, uh, but it is what it is. So uh, coming up on my preview show, I'm looking at Wednesday and I'm actually uh, likely to have a guest come on. Uh, just working out the final details, looking at a co-host for that one, which will be interesting. So stay tuned for that uh, on Wednesday. So if you haven't liked me on Facebook, I'd really appreciate a like, uh, get involved with some of the things that I post every couple of days, my thoughts and opinions. And if you're on any of the main podcast platforms, I'd really appreciate a rate and review to get me up in front of, Everyone's eyeballs and ear holes if you will uh, tell your friends. I'm not going anywhere and hope to do this Right up until a grand final win fingers crossed Uh, Just lastly I forgot to mention as well my best bet got up on Friday night uh, So that's four from four Uh, If you were to put say a $20 bet on each of my best bets so far you'd probably net just under $80 so Really happy to keep providing those ones. Really happy that we got that one up on Friday night. I picked the line. I mentioned in my preview that I thought it was going to be a close Bulldogs win or a win by a few goals support. And as it turned out, it should have or could have gone either of those directions. If Bailey Smith kicked that goal at the end, then they would have had a close win and we still would have won the bet. And if we had kicked straight, then we would have won and probably should have won by three to four goals. So... Yeah, look forward to checking the markets and providing another best bet. Hopefully we go five and five for this week, but that'll all be done in my previous show on Wednesday. So until then, have a good couple of days and uh, I'm signing off for now. Bye.